Well, um, let us go to the book of John this evening. If you brought a Bible, you can head to John in chapter 1. If you do not and you want to grab one in the back, there is still plenty of time. And again, you're welcome to keep that with you. Tonight we are kicking off a new series. And the title of the series is very simply put, Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. There's a lot of things in this world, there's a lot of things in this life that we are told to follow. The reality is, is that every single one of us, deep down, we are following someone or something is in charge and defines who we are and what we plan to do and what we want to be. But I'm going to challenge you this evening that the Word of God says to follow Jesus. And I think this idea, this reality is maybe more important than ever. It's certainly more relevant than ever, and it is an issue that we've got to face in our own culture at the moment because people are struggling. People are hurting. And the problem is this. Many people approach Christianity or the Christian faith, and they entirely somehow will miss Jesus. But if you miss Jesus, you miss everything, right? If you miss Jesus, you miss life. If you miss Jesus, you miss salvation. If you miss out on Jesus, you miss out on hope. And our world has always been, but maybe right now it's more obvious than ever before, our world has no way forward. Our world has no truth to rely on every day in every discussion. The question automatically is, well, is that true? Our world is in need of a source of life. And hope because we don't have one outside of Jesus. So the heart of the issue for every single person, every tribe, tongue, and nation is who is Jesus? What is his relevance to your life? Well, the book of John that we're going to be going through over the the next haul, I don't know how long it's going to take us, but it's going to take us a while. But as we walk through the book of John, we're going to discover more and more who is Jesus as the author of, of John, John himself, shows us every aspect of the three years of Jesus' life and ministry before he died on the cross and rose from the dead. And we're going to see stories and moments and snapshots of Jesus when he teaches with authority, when he does a miracle, when he raises someone from the dead, when he loves people in a way that you and I wish we, we could. When he rejects evil and wickedness with authority and power and holiness in a way that you and I wish that we could. The way that he fixes things that are broken, the way that he heals things that are sick, the way that he deals with spiritual problems in a way that on our own we never could. We're going to see Jesus, the man who claims to be and demonstrates himself to be God, the Son of God, the Messiah. And out of that, for us, we're going to see what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to use the word that the Bible uses to describe that. And we're going to wrestle with, well, how do we do that? And how do we do that together as the family or the body of Christ? And how do we make other disciples? Or how do we share that same good news and that life and that hope with other people? So tonight we're going to go slightly out of order. We're going to go all the way to John chapter 1, but we're going to start in verse 35. So if you're making a mark in your Bible, you can skip all the way ahead to verse 35. And we're going to look from verse 35 to 51. 
And I've entitled tonight, How to Be and Make Disciples. How to Be and Make Disciples. And it's a sort of a tag team sermon with last week we looked at how to read your Bible. This is going to be a very practical sermon, again, like last week, in that we'll also tie in very, very much so with our community Bible reading and with our discipleship triads that we'll be launching uh, in the next several weeks. But it speaks to who we are as a church, and more importantly, it speaks to who Jesus is and who he's called us to be. Next week, we'll begin in John chapter 1 and verse 1. But for tonight, let's begin in verse 35. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning in verse 35. The next day, again, John, this is John the Baptist, by the way, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour, which is about 4 p.m. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, at this point, we sort of end the first episode, and the very next verse begins a second episode, but notice the similarities in what's taking place. Verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael. And said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Thus far, the Word of God. Let's take a moment and let's pray and let's ask for God's guidance as we study his Word. Father, thank you so much that you have sent your Son, Jesus, indeed the light of the world, the hope for sinners like us, like me. And God, would you open our ears and our our eyes our hearts and our minds to receive your word this evening. Father, teach us what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, and teach us how we can share that same good news and make other followers disciples of Jesus. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. Three applications from from God's word this evening. Number one, right off the bat, disciples of Jesus. And all three are applications to disciples of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus are always, keyword always, 
making more disciples of Jesus. How do they do that? Well, first, always, guys, always make it about Jesus and not about yourself. That may seem obvious, but our hearts do the exact opposite, if we're being honest. Look again at verses 35 through 37, and look at what John the Baptist does. The next day again, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples. He looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. See, John had been teaching for quite a while, and he had gathered a huge amount of disciples and followers and just general people who wanted to see and hear what was going on. So John was trending. If there was social media, John was trending. He was extremely popular, and he was extremely, at the same time, unpopular. So you either very much loved him or you very much hated him, but he was a hot topic, to be sure. And so people were coming from all around. It was all about John the Baptist. But the moment that Jesus shows up, John says, look at Jesus. John points those people who were closest to him, who had been following him, and he says, look at Jesus. What's the idea? Well, for John the Baptist, his mission in life, from before he was even born, in fact, was to point people to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, it is the same for us. We are called to follow in the footsteps of John the Baptist, that in everything that we say and do, that we might point others, not to ourselves, but to Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about me because I'm a pastor. It's not about some other pastor at another church that has tens of thousands of people and they're eight states away on their own live stream. It's not about that guy or anybody else. It is about Jesus and is about pointing all attention to Him. You know, I find that to be a tremendous comfort because as we talk about beginning discipleship groups of three, the reality is, is that they're centered on Jesus and not on any one person. And so if you feel so called to be a leader of that group or even a participant, it's not about you. It takes the pressure off because Jesus can handle the pressure. You are not required, if you want to lead a discipleship triad, to have memorized the Greek New Testament, although that would be super cool if you did. You do not have to win the charisma and personality lottery, although some of you have. I am not one of them, but that's okay. It's about centering our lives on Jesus. It's not about you. Um, It's about three people who say, I want to serve you and be served. I want to lead and and be led. I want to speak and I want to listen. I want to give and I want to receive. That's what a, a family in Christ begins to look more and more like. But also, we're told here to always be inviting people to follow Jesus. Look at the next couple verses here again, verses 40 and 42. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. Simon Peter's brother. What does he do immediately? He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. He brought him to Jesus. I've said this before, but it's incredibly important to to recognize when we talk about discipleship or being a disciple, discipleship begins with evangelism. It begins with that very first gospel conversation where you're telling somebody who doesn't know about Jesus who he is. When does it end? 
When does discipleship end? Heaven. (laughs) When we see Jesus face to face. So every gospel conversation is a moment where we're asking God that he would use us to make new disciples and new followers of Jesus. So Andrew hears John the Baptist talk about Jesus, and Andrew goes to tell Simon Peter about Jesus. I've said this before, and I'll keep saying it. Um, The church, us, the followers, the disciples of Jesus, gather here together in a local church. The church is not a cruise ship. The church is not a cruise ship. It is an aircraft carrier. You follow the, the metaphor As soon as you begin to think that your ship or your church is there for your comfort, you have lost sight of the mission. When we are on an aircraft carrier, we are constantly being reminded that we are on a mission, and everyone on that ship understands the mission. And if you'll stretch the metaphor a little bit, we are being sent out to go out, reach out, and bring back, to come back, but to not come back with just ourselves, to come back with others who are being rescued out of the water and being brought to that ship that contains life, that is on mission. We've also got to be about growing and multiplying discipleship relationships in our church because that's what we see here in the life of Jesus and his followers. What we've got here, I would say humbly, is the first ever discipleship triad In the New Testament, right here in chapter 1, John the Baptist, Andrew, and the unnamed disciple, says Scripture, and this unnamed disciple more than likely is John himself, John the author of the book of John. Throughout the book, he will not name himself, which is a clear act on his part of humility to make sure that everybody understands that it's also not about him. It's about Jesus. But these three are together in a discipleship triad, and then they multiply. And they form another triad. Andrew goes out with the unnamed disciple that is most likely John, and they invite in Simon Peter, who up to that point, we don't know what his spiritual situation is, but we do now hear at this moment is a decisive experience where he will come to know and follow Jesus. So it began with a mature believer who discipled two other growing believers. And then those two growing believers went out and invited a new person, and the multiplication of disciples or followers of Jesus just kept on going. Now, some of us like to plan and we like to think through this, go, okay, so well, how long are we supposed to meet? How long do we do this? And the great answer from the Scripture is, I don't know exactly. Um, Maybe they met for a year, maybe they met for three years. What we do know from the Scripture is that later on, Peter and John, the author of the book, And his brother James are in what is essentially another triad. And so that same multiplication continued to happen until Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension back into heaven. Disciple till there is maturity to start another discipleship relationship is the takeaway here. So for us at New City, um, it is worth us thinking, it is worth you thinking about who at New City or who in your city that maybe does or does not know Jesus yet, could you be inviting into a discipleship relationship where we together say in a very small group, let's follow Jesus together. Um, I understand, believe me, I understand that we have not met uh, in person altogether in six months now. Just uh, this number of people meeting together is still new and we're figuring it out. And some of you, you have come and you're like, I still haven't met half, three quarters of the church. I know, I understand. But what does this story even tell us? 
No problem. We can handle that problem. Jesus can handle that problem. Invitation can handle that problem. In one scene, because of John the Baptist's faithfulness, you see through God's graciousness that five new disciples are formed. And they're following Jesus together and they're growing with one another. Number two, disciples of Jesus are eager to grow with one another and with Jesus. You see this in a couple different ways. First of all, you see that the the nature of the relationship is that Jesus is a teacher. Look at verse uh, 38 and forward again. Jesus turned and saw them, in verse 38, following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. Uh, Disciple, disciple means follower. So that means where he goes, I go. My life is defined by his life. My actions are defined by his actions. His priorities become my priorities. His beliefs become my beliefs. His commitments, Jesus' commitments become my commitments. But then they also call him rabbi, which means teacher. So a disciple is also a learner. Jesus teaches, you learn through his word, through times of prayer and talking back to the Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, through gathering together as the church in biblical community. What's incredibly important here, though, is these guys were hungry for it. They were eager for it. They wanted to grow. They're like, can we come over? Can we stay? Can we stay for the evening? What do you got in your fridge? Can we hang out? Can we learn more about you? What are you doing right now? What are your favorite things? What are your hobbies? What do you want to do? Where do you want to go? They're passionate about, hungry about learning about Jesus. And Jesus responds, come and see. Come and see. Jesus' hospitality and invitation enabled them to do life on life with him. So here, the disciples of Jesus effectively move in with Jesus, and they do life with Jesus, and they let him into every part of their lives, and him into every part of their lives, them into every part of his life, and they find out who Jesus really is. That's what discipleship kind of looks like, because when discipleship triads get together, the goal is that we're learning from Jesus, that we're eager, that we're hungry to be together with him. Disciples grow and they get changed by Jesus. I think that's that's an important part that sometimes we miss. If you hang out with Jesus, you will not, you cannot remain the same. Look at verses 44 through 46 again. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. So here you got a second round now of discipleship relationships that are being formed in this story. So Philip invites Nathanael to meet Jesus, and Nathanael is like, I don't think so. Nathanael kind of pushes back. He doesn't say no necessarily, but you can tell he is skeptical at best. Um, And what's interesting here is Philip did not really try to argue 
with Nathaniel. That wasn't his play in that moment. I think that's insightful for us. He doesn't try to convince him by an argument. Philip invited Nathaniel to come and see Jesus. What does that look like for us? I think what's incredibly powerful here is Philip said, let's go to the Word. Let's go to Jesus. In our case, let's go to the, are you willing to go to Scripture with me and see Jesus and experience Him? And Philip doesn't say, well, you should go read your Bible. He says, will you go with me? He's inviting him into a relationship where he's saying, will you investigate Jesus with me? As particularly in our culture, God forbid our, ever, our answer to anyone ever is, well, just go read your Bible. But the response is, come and see. Are you willing to investigate and learn about Jesus with me? And you sort of present yourself along with them in humility, saying, I'm a student too. I'm a learner too. I'm following. Do you want to follow with me? And out of that immediately becomes another discipleship group being developed right here. And there's an extra layer here of transparency, maybe honesty, and humility as they deal with doubts, as they deal with some struggles that are taking place. And that's the idea too. As we think about our discipleship triads, um, I, to be super clear, there's basically three things. When we get together, there's three things that, that are, we have on the menu, three goals. Uh, super simple, up, in, and out. And that should resonate with all kinds of things that the Scriptures say and that we do already in our church, but up, in, and out. Up. We get together, the three of us, we talk about what am I learning from God's Word? What is He teaching me? How is He moving in my life? And we come prepared with what we're seeing, reading, learning, and we share about it. Number two, in. That a friendship, a genuine commitment and friendship is developing and one that is willing to ask the tough questions Sometimes we call it accountability, and when we bring up the word accountability, people go running for the hills. But the willingness to ask, how are you? How is your relationships in your family? Where are you struggling? Where are you taking joy? And can we pray about that together? That's in. Up, in, and out. And out really is what we've already been talking about. Who can we be praying for to share the same good news with? Who can we be inviting into our, our group or into our church, into examining, learning about Jesus? Let's start praying for those folks. Let's start talking about how can we do a better job of sharing the good news of Jesus up, in, and out. That's who we want to be. Third and finally, disciples of Jesus believe that Jesus is the Son of God. It's all great and well if, if it's what are we going to do. But you see that this entire story is grounded in the reality of who Jesus really is. Look at verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Notice that disciples of Jesus are pursued and are loved by Jesus. Brother and sister in Christ, Jesus cares about you. Jesus loves you. More than anybody else in this room or anybody else that you know, Jesus loves and pursues you. And he's pretty good at it. Jesus is all-knowing here. He's omniscient. He knows where Philip is going to be. And so he goes to where the man that he wants is, and he goes and finds him and pursues him. See, this is the message of the gospel, guys. 
that we spiritually on our own, every single one of us, have run in the opposite direction from Jesus. And God, by His grace, has sent Jesus. And Jesus pursues you when you didn't want to be pursued. Jesus loves you when you were not interested in loving Him. That is the grace and the truth and the love of Jesus. And if we miss that reality, then everything else is a waste of time. This week we were in 1 John chapter 4 in our community Bible reading. Monday, I think, was our, we were reading uh, specifically 1 John in chapter 4. And listen to these two verses. This, this is the heart of the matter. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 through 11. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation or payment for our sins. And in the logical outflow of that, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It's taking place right here on the page. It's taking place right here in our church. Because Philip has experienced the love of Jesus He's in a brand new discipleship relationship with Jesus, and he can't help but invite Nathaniel, the skeptic, into that same relationship. And look what happens with Nathaniel. Jesus foreknew Nathaniel. Nathaniel's skeptical, and then they have this conversation, and it changes everything for Nathaniel. Look at verse 47 and 48 again. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? Right? If somebody walks up to you and they know everything about you, your entire life story, you'd be like, that's weird. How do you know me? That's Nathaniel's moment here. Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel's a skeptic. And Jesus said, what Jesus is essentially saying here, if we cut through to to the the original language here, he's saying Nathaniel's a straight shooter. Nathaniel doesn't play games. He gets to the heart of the moment. He's not a liar. This is exactly what he is thinking. And Jesus appreciates that about him. And then he mentions the fig tree. And the fig tree uh, in that time and in the New Testament is very often a symbol of home. So he's saying, listen, when you were still back at home, Nathaniel, I knew you. I knew what you were doing. I was looking for you. I love you. That is the type of relationship that you have with Jesus, and only the Son of God could do such a thing. John chapter 2 sheds light on this. Uh, Verse 24 and 25 says, Jesus knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about him, uh, about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So Jesus knows Nathanael already. He loved Nathaniel already, and he called him as a disciple to follow after him. So when we gather together as disciples of Jesus, we are compelled by his love. We're not compelled by a need to impress him. We're not compelled to a need to check all the boxes and be 100% successful. We're not compelled to have dealt with all of our sins and somehow on our own magically eliminated them and then we can come to Jesus. We're not compelled to impress other people. We're not compelled to do things perfectly and pretend like we're really, really good people when deep down we know that we're not on our own. We're compelled by his love. We're compelled by the fact that He knows us better than we know ourselves. 
We're compelled that he knows what we need before we even ask, and he promises to provide what we need. We're compelled by the fact that he's not surprised by our sin. He's not surprised by our rebellion. In fact, Romans 5.8 says that he was sent when we were still sinners, still an act of rebellion towards him. We're compelled by his love. And like Nathaniel, disciples of Jesus believe Jesus is the Son of God. They believe he is the King, says Nathaniel, the Messiah. Look at the last two verses here, verses 49 through 51. Nathanael answered him. This is Nathanael's response to this interaction with Jesus. Nathanael says, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. The implication is, yes, he believes. This is what comes next. You're going to see even greater things. And he, Jesus, said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus has come. He's ripped open heaven. He's come to save. There's only three times that this phrase that Nathaniel borrows here, this King of Israel phrase, there's only three times in the entire New Testament that that phrase gets used. It gets used at the triumphal entry when people are throwing down palm branches and saying, Hosanna and hallelujah, they're praising him as God. And then it gets used to mock Jesus as they crucify him and murder him on a cross. And they mock him with the phrase, King of Israel, the King. Jesus came for both purposes. He is the King, but he came to die. For my sins, for your sins, because he knew we could not do it ourselves, because he loved us when we were unlovable. He died and then he rose from the dead. He is the Messiah. The Old Testament word that in the New Testament gets translated Christ, Jesus Christ. In English, it means the anointed one. He is the one from God that we have been waiting for. John, the writer of the book, wants to make it as clear as he possibly can. So just in this little 16 verses that we're looking at, he is described, Jesus is described as the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the Rabbi, the Teacher, the Fulfillment of Law and Prophets, the Omniscient One, the Son of God, the King of Israel, and the Son of Man. Jesus says, you believe, and because you believe, you'll see even greater things. What kind of things? Miracles? Yes, miracles. Jesus teaching with authority and his wisdom and his truth? Yes, all those things. Jesus raising people from the dead? Yes. Jesus' death on the cross for my sins and his resurrection from the dead and ascending back into heaven? Yes, you'll see that too. And on top of that, you'll see disciples, followers of Jesus made. And you'll not just watch it, but you'll get to be a part of it. You'll get to join in God's mission of seeing people made disciples, followers of Jesus Christ who will follow him now and follow him into heaven for all eternity. I want to take just the last minute that we have here. Before I pray, um, I've got two people that I asked who have been uh, in triads this year at our church. I've asked them to come up and just share for a second about what being in a discipleship triad has meant for them. 
So I'm going to ask Rachel if she will come on up first and just share for a second what it's meant to be in a group of three ladies this year in a discipleship triad. Thanks for sharing. Hello. Okay. Hi, I'm Rachel Clark, if you guys don't know me. And I have been in a triad for over a year, actually, um, with Alana Harris and Linnea Morris. And being in the triad has meant so much, so much to me, Um, more than the ladies will ever know. But it's kind of nice because we get to share with each other, and, and it makes me realize, hey, I'm not perfect either. They're not perfect. We're all human. We make mistakes. But the awesome thing about it is that they encourage you to um, see, you know, tell you the truth of God, remind you of the truth of God, his love and his mercy that he has on us. Um, You don't have to share in your groups, but um, it's nice that it stays in your group. It does not go anywhere. Um, Sorry, she's giving me the... (laughs) And, um, but through this, I have made two best friends in a stronger relationship with God, and I can't say anything more important than that. Thanks, Rachel. Um, I also asked Eric Hughes to come on up and share from the guy's perspective what it's looked like to be in the guy's group. I'm not responsible for anything that he says. (laughs) He's definitely responsible. (laughs) Let me first by saying, better than expected. (laughs) You know, last time I uh, was with a a group of guys uh, doing Bible study, it was in high school, and there was a lot of running involved. Um... Luckily, there's no running this time. Well, there was one once, but um, really, though, it, it's been a game changer. It's, it's worth the time and effort. Um, me and Ben and Luke, um, we, we talk about what we've been reading, whether it's a book or a CBR. Um, we pray with each other. We laugh. We cry, maybe. But um, it, it's good. You know, it, intertwined in that, too, we talk about our life. We talk about our kids. We talk about why our wives are mad at us this week. But uh, it, it, it's good, and it's definitely a game changer. And I would, I would definitely recommend, you know, these coming weeks, just like Ben said, you know, find a group. Find a group of guys. Find a group of girls. And just start. See where it takes you. <laughs>